I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling Welcome to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. So welcome Pastor Tim Lucas and I'll let you introduce on testing can you all hear me all right I'm going to take this off that's in honor of dear Alan the tie-dye my brother all right let's read the word this morning okay heavenly father God We pray that you would be with us as we open your word today. Lord God, as we dive into your scripture, as we hear your words written through the apostle, that you would teach us more about who you are, that we can find comfort in who you are, and that we can rest in what you do. Lord God, I pray for everyone here that you would fill their hearts and their minds with your spirit, And that we could grow closer to you. God, I pray that as I speak, it would be your words that go forth. That I would become less and less and you would become more and more. And God, we just pray that you receive all the honor, praise, and glory today. As we worship you. As we draw close to you. As we come to love you more. As we come to grow closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for everyone here. And God, we just pray in your name, Jesus, because of what you've done for us. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 8.28. I'd like to read this passage before we get into the message today. Romans 8.28 through the end of the chapter. We read, We know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be called the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he's justified, he's also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us all. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Amen? It's a beautiful word of the Lord. Today and this week, I'll be here with you guys. Thanks for, I thank the elders and, and those of you who've been a part of everything the last two weeks for um allowing me to have this honor. Um, it really is an honor. As most of you know, Alan Battle, he was my mentor. He is, took me when I was 16, <laughs> started pouring into me as this little teenager at Grace Church, taught me theology, taught me pastorship, taught me sound doctrine, built me up, pushed me into ministry, pushed me to go to school, poured into me. And so Alan's shoes, I can't fill them. I don't think anyone could fill them. They're pretty big. I might be able to. I got big feet. Well, I can't fill his shoes. I, I definitely stand here in his honor as he poured into me. I hope to be able to pour out to his church and to the fellowship here. I was, I struggled a lot when Alan passed. When my wife let me know, I couldn't move. And I just cried out, why? No, can't be true. It broke my heart. The only place I could find comfort after screaming and crying, which is good for us to do. You know, God never tells us not to have emotions, not to cry, not to be filled with grief. But we don't let that turn us away from Him. We let that turn us to Him. The only place I found comfort in that moment was turning to God and trusting in His sovereignty. And so for the next two, two weeks, I'm, a, I'm with you, and maybe longer, but at least these next two Sundays, we'll be doing a message, a series, a two-part series on Romans 8, on this passage in Romans 8, because I think this declares the sovereignty of God in such a powerful way. And so we're going to be learning about this sovereign providence of God and what it means to have comfort in that. The sovereign providence of God. In this passage, the Lord reveals to us something so beautiful and vital to every part of our walk with Him. Every part of the walk of His followers, we, we, we are rooted in this truth that Paul describes here in Romans 8. The depths of the Lord's sovereign providence. Who we are as Christians is rooted in the sovereignty of God. And if we've spent some time in church, we've heard that term sovereignty. In fact, today when we were 
we were in our Bible study this morning, that was one of the characteristics of God is he is a sovereign God. So we've heard about this. We've, we've accepted it. Yeah, God is sovereign. God is, has providence. But we take it for granted a lot of the time. We don't think more about it. We just accept it. And almost all Christians on all denominations and all sects, all groups, they agree God is sovereign. But then they disagree on what that actually looks like. They say, yes, God's above everything, but does he have control of everything? Yes, God is the king, but is he the king of my life? You see, sovereignty is thought about, but I think it's important that we really understand what it means. And in fact, in understanding God's sovereignty, I've found in my life, that is where I find the most comfort. When I understand God's sovereignty and God's providence, and, and when we understand this truth of who God is, I think we see something special. Now, I'm supposed to make it to 12 o'clock, and I'm really going to try hard to do that. I don't think I'm going to make it. (laughs) Especially, first of all, everyone just, thank you, Pete, man. He knows what, that guy, I come in, I'm like, when am I supposed to give you my verses? He goes, on Wednesday. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was my fault. I apologize, everyone. We had to put my verses on here, and Pete handled it like a champ. And so, man, it's good to see people serving. Uh, so our time's cut short, but let's, let's go ahead and just get into this. I'd like to start with sharing a little bit about my testimony, because I think it's really important you know who's teaching you, who's talking to you. And I also think in my testimony, in all our testimonies, we begin to understand this idea of providence and this idea of sovereignty. Um, so, as some of you know me, I was born to these two right here in the front, uh, my dad and my mom, uh, Dan and Debbie, and it was an awesome family I was born into, God-loving family. In fact, to a good picture of understanding my family was we had quiet time all the time. My dad always would do quiet time and, and read the Bible to all of us and all the, my two brothers and my mom would sit in the room and listen, and uh, I would, of course, hide under the blankets with a Pop-Tart. And uh, he would talk and I would eat my Pop-Tart. And maybe that's the reason why I got so big, because my dad did quiet time a lot. (laughs) So I was eating a lot of Pop-Tarts. But so I was born into this family that was rooted in the Bible and rooted in God in faith and grew up, as you know, my grandpa, he was a missionary. and, And so I grew up in this family, but it was never my own faith. Even as a kid, I remember that. It was, it's my family is everything. It was never my own faith. Um... But then it started to become real to me. When I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with uh, severe OCD, and I struggled with depression as well. Now, severe OCD, I, know, I don't know if any of you know what that is, but it's obsessive-compulsive disorder. It means when I look at the world, everything, I'm afraid of everything in my brain. And my brain has an obsession to try to fix everything and clean everything. And so there's different forms of it, but it basically as an 11-year-old child, I didn't know what was going on, but I got, I was mentally struggling and sick. And it happened that I had to pull out of school, pull out of, pull out of everything I was doing, life. And it, you know, it would, I was trapped in my own brain as an 11-year-old. And I realized in that moment, I couldn't help. I was struggled as an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old with this brokenness and depression, and just the weight of the world upon me. And and there was a moment I had been struggling for probably about a year or two, and I called out to God. I said, God, if you really are the God of my parents and you're real, 
This is me as a 12-year-old. <laughs> Help me. I remember after I called out to him, there was some kind of breath that was breathed into me, some kind of strength, and I, be, I started being able to fight back. I had strength to fight back this brokenness in my brain, and, and you know, I, I pushed through and was able to go to treatment, was able to heal, and God healed me through that. And so I saw the strength and power of God as a 12-year-old, but I never gave my life to him. And when I was able to go back to school, as sophomore in high school, finally, I wanted to live in the world as anyone does. And so I lived in the world as a teenager, and what ended up happening in my life is everything just kept breaking, and it got to a pit of despair once again. And I was 16, and it was dark. My junior year in high school, and, and I was struggling with my depression again, and I still had the thorn in my flesh, and I called out to God again saying, I know I haven't walked with you, but you helped me the last time. Help me this time. And within five minutes, I got a text message from a friend that said, the only thing I want for my birthday is for you to come to my, my high school Bible study. Uh, okay, I guess I'll come. Well, I went to Grace Church at the Bible study. Ian Ballard, who did the, wor- who did the worship for us at, our, at Alan's service, um, he preached a message. He was the youth pastor at Grace at the time, and he preached a message about dying to your old self and taking up a new self in Christ. I said, that's what I need to do. My old self is broken. I need to take up a new life. How do I do that? <laughs> and I was led to the Lord by another youth leader there. His name was Randy Dorman. He, he's the one that made the chips for uh, Alan Battle that, that we all got. He led me to the Lord, and my life changed from that moment just radical change in my life, and, and God sent me right into ministry. I was on fire for the Lord. I started serving in the, in the high school group, and then I, started, I served in the college group, and that's when Alan came and found me and saw this kid in the high school and in the high school group and started pouring into me, pushed me to go to school. Then I went to college, and, and I, I studied to theology and pastoral ministries, and God just began to work in me and brought me to do mission on the colony and and then they asked me after seven or eight years of mission there on the calling, they asked me to lead their church to develop their ministry. And then that all of God's providence brought me here. That's how God's worked in my life. And I think it's important that we know our, our testimonies and, and how God has worked. And so praise the God for what he's done. We haven't even gotten into scripture yet, so I am, we're going to rush through some of this, but... I think it's really important we know each other's testimonies. And if you've never talked about your testimony with someone, it's a powerful way to see how God worked in your life. And you can see his providence and his sovereignty. Our lives reflect the hand of God. And when I look back over my testimony, I can see God's sovereign providence in my life. That's why we call it God's sovereign providence, because he is sovereign and provisional. And so our passage this morning declares this sovereign providence of God, and this will be our passage for the next two weeks, declares the sovereign providence of God. Romans 8.28 declares this. This is, you could say this is the thesis verse. This is the main verse of this passage, and you can say this is one of the main verses of our walk with the Lord. Verse 28, Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we read this verse, and we love this verse. That sounds great. But we have to ask the question, how 
and why? How is God able to make everything work together for good, and why does he do it? And so this series, we're going to be talking about that. With what time we have left with our, with our service today, I'm going to talk about that first question. How is God able to do that? How is God able to work all things for good for those who are called and love him and live according to his purpose? This is the idea of sovereignty. How is God able to work all things? He is able to because he is sovereign. Sovereignty is just revealed, poured out to us from Scripture that this is the character of God. I think it's really a beautiful thing to look at Scripture and see what does Scripture say about who God is? What is this idea of sovereignty? We hear that word. It's a Christian word. What is this idea? Well, it comes from from throughout the whole of the Bible, but here's some key passages that I think really explain this idea of sovereignty. Psalm 115, 2 through 3. It'll be up here on the screen. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. And then 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 13. Yours O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. I had some more verses here that describe this, but we got to cut some short. I think it's beautiful, at least from Psalm 95, verses 3, 4, and 5, we see the praise of God's people to who God is. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And we are the sheep of his hand. From these passages, I think we can understand the important truth. God is sovereign. God's sovereignty. What does that term sovereignty mean? The sovereignty, if we bring that from Scripture and understand what does Scripture say about God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is the supreme ruler and king who continually and personally rules over all of creation. God is the supreme ruler and king who rules over everything personally. So whatever happens in the world, whatever happens in our lives, whatever happens with the ants and the birds, with the the cells of, of trees, with everything, God is in control. This is the essence of who God is. God cannot be God unless he is completely sovereign. In fact, you can describe God by saying God is whatever is above anything else. Whatever you can think, whatever you can describe, if you can picture God, he is above that. That's the idea of his sovereignty. He is above and in control. God is not God unless he is in complete control. R.C. Sproul describes God's sovereignty in a, a very interesting way. He says, if there is one molecule in the universe running loose outside of God's sovereignty, what I call a maverick molecule, 
then the practical implication for us Christians is that we have no guarantee whatsoever that any other promise, any future promise of God has made, that God has made to his people will ever come to pass. If God is not in control of every molecule, of everything, then we have no confidence that he can do anything, right? That's why the sovereignty of God is key to our relationship with him. He is in control. He is above and he is in charge. And because of that, we can trust him. Because God is sovereign, because he is in control, we can trust him. Because if it wasn't, if even one little molecule was off doing its own thing outside of God's hands, then we have no confidence of him in anything else. So God must be sovereign. God must be in control and above of everything. The idea of his omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God, and his omnipresence, the all-being of God, being everywhere and anywhere. And the idea of his omniscience, his all-knowing, that he knows all things, that all exudes from his sovereignty. He is sovereign. He is above all in control of all. And I think that's what this, decla- this scripture declares to us. God is eternally sovereign. And because of that, we can trust in him. Look at how God works out his sovereignty. And, and next week, we're going to be talking a lot about his providence. But look how God works out his sovereignty in our lives. And in the creation story, verse 29 of Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. In this, we have a clear description of God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge, his understanding of everything that would ever happen, which means he's above all and in charge of all. He predestined us to be conformed to his image. The predestination, this topic has been talked about a lot in theology circles. It's never a bad thing. The Bible always describes God's predestination as his authority to declare and his authority to call. And he predestines us to become children. If you belong to God, God has predestined you to come to him. And we ask, well, what does that have to do with our free choice? I've always described it as, I don't have a coin with me. I always like to have a coin with me. If you look at a coin, you can see heads when you look at the heads, and you can see tails when you look at tails. But when you look at heads, you can't see tails, and when you look at tails, you can't see heads. But you know they're both there, and they both make the coin what it is. That's our relationship to God and his sovereignty. We have free choice, the heads, or I should say the tails. (laughs) But God is sovereign, He's declared the end from the beginning. They both exist continually, but it's hard to see one when you're looking at the other. But it's true. That's what Scripture declares. God is sovereign, and we are responsible. God is sovereign, and we move, and we choose him. And so this big, beautiful picture, I've always heard it described to me as when God calls us, predestines us, it's as if there's a door open to us. And he says, all who enter will be saved. And when you enter through the door, you look on the other side and you see your name written saying you were going to enter. It's that beautiful picture of God has opened the door for his chosen, but we choose to enter it. It's this beautiful picture. And so you see God's sovereignty in the way he's worked with us. 
and how he's called us. The calling is, as he says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Called is the act of God bringing his people to himself. I'd like to get to into the theology of each of these things, but we don't have time. Called is the act of God bringing himself to his, or bringing, I guess, his people to himself. Justified is the act of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. In God's sovereign plan, we are forgiven at the cross of Christ and we stand before God covered in the righteousness of Christ. Of his blood washes us white as snow. And then glorified. We are in the process of a sanctification that will bring us to the day of glorification. This is the act of God's sovereignty in our life and we're going to see next week that this is actually God moving in providence. But he can only move in providence, he can only act if he is sovereign. And these are the ways he has acted in his sovereignty. And so, a couple more minutes here, but I want to help us to understand this sovereignty of God. We can't understand the working of God in our life. We can't understand what it means that he's going to work things out for good if we don't truly understand his sovereignty. And so we know that his sovereignty means he is above all. He's in control of all. Well, that's good, but it's only good if he's good. If God is not good, then that's a very scary thought, isn't it? God's in control of everything. And if he's not good, that's a scary thought. But here's the thing, and I want us to understand. God's sovereignty actually means he is perfect. It means he's the perfect ruler, the perfect king. In order to be perfect, he must be good. You cannot be perfect and be bad. Augustine, I think, helps us understand this. When Augustine described what sin is for us as humans... He says, sin is removing ourselves from God, turning away from God, as Adam and Eve did. Removing ourselves from God is the increasing of sin in our life. That's this idea of sin. Sin is being separate from God and thus being separate from perfection. So in order for God to be perfect, he must be good. He must be sinless, righteous, holy. So God is sovereign, and because he is sovereign, he is good because he's perfect. So if he is perfect, he must be good. Do we see that connection there? God is sovereign and above all. That means he must be good. Whatever thing you can think of that is good, he is beyond that. He is above all. In fact, he is our definition of goodness because he is sovereign. He is our definition of what is righteous because he is above all and there is no imperfection in him. Psalm 107.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is good. James 1, 17, this is really important. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. I love that song we sang. That God is our king and he does not change. There is no variation in him, no shadow. He is pure light. Shadow is just the absence of light. He is pure light and he is good. So while we know that God is sovereign, we must also understand that because he is sovereign, he must be good. Everything in him is characterized by his goodness because he is sovereign. He is perfectly good. And in that, in his goodness, in his, our understanding of God's sovereignty, that he is a good God, we begin to understand that we can trust that sovereignty. 
See, if he was bad, he wouldn't be sovereign. That would mean he would have to change. He would have to be something that's not perfect in order to be evil. But because he is perfect, he is good, and he defines that. And so because of God's sovereign character as a good, sovereign God, because he's in control, we can trust that he is good. And because we can trust that he is good, we can trust in his plan. I think that's really important. When we know that God is sovereign, lots of people try to talk away that, saying, oh, he's, in, he's sovereign, but he's not in control of everything that happens. He's above everything, but he's not in control of everything. Because how can he be in control of everything when bad things happen? But what's really important is we need to understand that God is good. And yes, he's in control of everything that happens, and he works it all out for his good. And in fact, that's where I find my comfort. And we see his goodness in his plan. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the condemn? Christ alone is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So in God's plan of salvation, we see his sovereignty and we see his goodness. Because he's a good God, because we can trust that he's in control, we understand that he's worked all things out for good for those who love him, beginning and ultimately defined by the cross. When Christ died on the cross, it was God showing his complete authority over everything and his goodness. When Christ died on the cross, Colossians says, our trespasses, our sins were nailed to the cross with him. And that when he died, our sins died. And when he was buried in the grave, it says our sins were buried there with him. In baptisms, our sins were buried with him in death. And when he rose to new life, our sins stayed in the grave. And now we have, as he rose to new life, we are given new life. The new life that comes from God. That's the gospel of Christ. It's this idea of God as he worked in our salvation. He was working things out for our good. That's how God has always operated with his people with those who choose him from the beginning of time, the, from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses, God was working for good for his people. Because he is sovereign, he can do that. And because he is sovereign, he is good. And because he is good, we can trust him. And we can trust that when Christ died on the cross, it was God's sovereign plan to save the people for himself, to save us, not because of anything we did, but because of his plan. And so in that plan of salvation, we see his sovereignty in a beautiful picture and probably the most profound picture of he looked at us and he saw our sin. He saw our brokenness. He saw how we had sinned against him, how we had turned our eyes from him, and he knew we had no chance in and of ourselves. And so he stepped off his throne, became a man, and took the wrath that was due us upon his own son, upon Jesus on the cross so that we can have life, and he brought us to him. So we see God's sovereignty in the plan of salvation. In fact, if God is not sovereign, then the plan of salvation is just a guess. Maybe it saves us. But because he's sovereign, we can trust that it did save us. And because he is sovereign, we can trust him. So there's three things I want to leave us with today. 
whew, got through that. When I was, um, like I said, when I was struggling with the passing of my spiritual pop and my brother Alan, the only thing I could do was turn to God's sovereignty. The only thing I do is say, God, I know you're in control. I can trust that you're in control because you're good. So number one, because God is sovereign, we can trust him. Because God is sovereign, we can trust him. Because he's in control, we can trust him. We might not understand what's going on here, but we know he's in control. So we can rest in him, can't we? We can trust God. If it wasn't for God being sovereign, we have no right to trust him. Nothing surprises God. Everything's according to his plan, even if we don't understand it, even if we're saying, why God? Why is this happening? Why is my life like this? Why did I struggle with that when I was a kid? Why did my beloved brother pass on when it was, I didn't feel it was his time? Why did my grandma die before I felt it was her time? But we can trust in God's sovereignty. We can say, God, I can trust you because I know it's your plan. And that's why number two becomes so important. We know because God is sovereign, we can trust him, number one. Number two, because God is sovereign, we know he is good. So remember that. God is good. It says, God works out all things for good for those who are called according to his purposes, for his people. He's always worked out for good. So we see the testimony of God. Because he is perfect, he must be good. And because he is good, we can trust him. And because we can trust him, number three, we can find comfort in him. We can trust him. We can know for certain he's good. And because of that, we can have comfort in him. We can find comfort in the Lord because he's in control and because he's a good God who loves us. And when we don't understand what's going on, when our hearts break, when we struggle with what, we say, God, what are you doing? One of my favorite books of the Old Testament is Habakkuk, Minor Prophet. The whole book is about Habakkuk arguing with God, saying, what are you doing And God's response to him is, the righteous will live by their faith. They won't just survive what God's doing. Because we know that even though Alan's not with us, he's in the best glory there is. Even though things happen here that we don't understand, God brings us through. We don't just survive the turmoil and make it through it. But we also have life because of God. So we can have comfort in him because as we trust in him, it says the righteous will live by faith. As we trust in him, he will bring us through. And because of that, because he's in control, we can trust him. Because he's good, we know that he is working things out for good, for his plan, a bigger plan than we can see. And if we know that God is good and working out everything for a good plan, then we can have comfort in that. We can have comfort in that good plan. We might not understand it. We might want to know more about it. And so we seek God and God wants us to. God wants us to argue with him. God wants us to talk to him. God wants us to scream out, why God? Why are you doing this? 
And then so he can comfort us, so he can talk to us, so he can say, I am still in control. I am in control. This is all according to my plan. That's hard to hear. The worst thing someone could tell me when, when my grandma passed away was, God still has a plan. <laughs> like That doesn't help me right now. But that's where I go when I need comfort. I trust in God's plan. And I can just have comfort saying, I don't understand, but I know you're good. And I know you got me. We are his, his sheep, and he is our good shepherd. And that's why we cry out, you are our God. We are the people of your pasture. We are the sheep of your hand. You are the God, the king who reigns above, and we can trust you because of your love. Amen? That's why we can take comfort in God's sovereignty today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this truth that comes from your scripture. Lord God, thank you for this truth that you've taught us that even though we struggle, even though we have pain, even though life seems so broken so many times, that we can still stand in confidence on the truth that you are king, that you are sovereign, that you are above all, and that you are good, and that you love us, and that you are working things out for our good. We don't understand that. We don't even know why you would do that. But you say, you are God and you are good and you love us. And so God, we just have to hold to you through the trials in life. When we deal with something that's in front of us, God, we can just hold to you saying, God, you are in control. God, we can submit to you. We can give our lives to you. We can stand before you and stand in confidence in our faith in you because you are above. You are sovereign and you are good. God, when we understand that, when we understand that you are good, we can rest and have comfort in that. In fact, that's the only place we really have comfort. God, you are the rock. Sometimes we trust in so many things that just get washed away in the storm. But God, because you are perfect and good, you are the rock that holds us firm. I pray for everyone here that they would hold on to you as the rock, that they would just trust in you. Trust that you are sovereign, that you are above everything, that you know everything, that you've even planned out your work in their life. They can just rest in that. And we can learn, God, what are you showing us through what we're going through? How are you bringing this out for good? How can I find comfort in this? God, help us to seek comfort in you, trusting in who you are, and then seeing your plan. Because as we look back over our testimony, as we look back of what you've done, Lord, as we look back at your hand in our lives, we realize, yes, God, you were in control and you had a bigger plan than I could ever see. My heart would not have been open to you. I would have been stuck in my stubbornness. I would have been stuck in my hardness of heart and mind if I didn't be humbled when I was a kid in my mind. God, I can see your plan in my life. God, we can look back and see your plan. We don't understand it, but God, we see your plans and we trust in you and we can't wait for that day. You say, as you've, as you've predestined us, you've called us and we've called on your name. And then as those who've been called, we've been justified as we've believed. And as we've been justified, we've been brought through sanctification and we are on the way to glorification. And God, we can't wait for that day where we stand in your glory reflecting you. But now as we walk, we must trust in you, Lord. Help us to trust in you. 
Help us to hold tight to your sovereignty. And God, as we talk next week and we look more at what, how that sovereignty unfolds in our life, help us to just be in joy and in awe and adoration of who you are and how you work. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray and praise and give all glory to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.